Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. This is Derek Briggs, professor of geology and geophysics and incumbent director of the Yale Peabody Museum of Natural History, and graduate student Jakob Winther, discussing their analysis of exceptional fossils that preserve the soft body tissues of ancient aquatic organisms. So most fossils preserve only bone and hard structures of organisms. You've been studying these unusual fossils that have soft body parts preserved. How rare are these fossils, and, and why are they so rare? Well, in most normal environments, they're extremely rare. And the reason is fairly obvious when you think about it, because biological processes involve recycling. Everything decays. So normally the, the soft tissues disappear pretty rapidly, and only the hard tissues survive. And we can think of this in terms of what you would find on a beach today. If you went digging in the mud or exploring rock pools or looking at organisms in the sand, only about 30 or 40 percent of the different kinds of animals that live in those settings actually have hard mineralized tissues and therefore have any real potential for getting preserved in the fossil record. So the other 70 percent we normally don't see. Wow. So tell us about this new fossil that you've been been analyzing most recently um, and the, uh, the animals that they're related to now. Yeah. So um, we've been describing this um, fossil, Macaridian. And Macaridian is a group of fossils that we find from about 480 to about 300 million years ago. And they have been known to scientists for about 150 years. But because we only had the the shell plates of these um, animals, people uh, didn't have a clue about what kind of animal actually had these shell plates. And they've been suggested to be a number of different animals. Among others, they've been suggested to be echinoderms, in which we find uh, sea urchins and starfish. And um, they also have been suggested to be uh, mollusks, where we have uh, squids and bivalves and snails and slugs. And they've been suggested to be barnacles, which is these small white thingies that you find uh, on the poles and in harbors. And you also find them uh, sitting on the heads of humpback whales and, and so on. But we, we can now demonstrate that they are uh, annelid worms. And annelids, they are, uh, they're quite abundant. We find they, that's, uh, for example, earthworms that we find out in our garden. Leeches are also annelids. You find... Uh, uh, there is these so-called bristle worms that is common in the sea. And we can now demonstrate that the Macaridians were actually a group of bristle worms that had these shell plates arranged on their backs. So these are armored worms. Exactly. Okay. And, uh, and we do have things that are like them now. Yeah. So there is a group, um, a modern group of, um, of annelids that is called uh, scale worms. And these forms has got uh, structures that is very similar to the, st to the structures that carried these shell plates. So the modern group, uh, these so-called scale worms, they have, they, they're called scale worms because they have got uh, scale-like structures arranged on their back, but they're soft. Derek, what is special about being able to study the soft tissues, uh, particularly in ancient organisms? Well, you have to think about the first discovery of these macaridians about 150 years ago, where the isolated scales on the surface were found just as single little plates 
hence the problem working out what they were. Even when examples were found that were buried very quickly and the coat of armor was preserved intact so we could see what the skeleton really looked like without being scattered in the sediment, it was still problematic, as, as Jacob has explained, to work out what exactly their affinities were. But what we now have is information on what lies underneath those scale plates. And what we can see are a series of divisions in the body. Each of those divisions has lobe-like projections. And at the end of those projections, there are bundles of bristle-like structures, which are absolutely characteristic of marine worms living today. So allow us to demonstrate that this very peculiar animal actually belongs with a living group. One other thing that struck me about your report is the size of these critters. How do you find something that's only an inch long and decide what goes with what when it's a fossil? Well, in this case, of course, the specimen was complete. I mean, many paleontologists don't work with dinosaurs. They actually work with very much smaller materials. And finding these things in the field is about knowing the kinds of settings where they might occur and having a search image that involves small and spectacular rather than huge. It's just about how you set about your particular type of paleontology. So where are some of the places that these kinds of fossils with soft bodies preserved are found? And what's, what's particular about these places? Well, this particular fossil was found in Morocco by a colleague of ours, wasn't it, Jacob? Yeah, that was um, Peter van Roy. He's a Belgian uh, PhD student who's now uh, doing a postdoc in, uh, at University College of Dublin. And he uh, has been working down there for uh, a number of years on his PhD thesis. And he's primarily been focusing on uh, so-called arthropods. And arthropods is the group that spiders and crustaceans and insects belong to. And he found a number of peculiar arthropods down there. Uh, you can call them uh, early members of this, of or ancestors of some of these uh, modern groups that we have. And um, among others, he then found this uh, this Macaridian and could, def could see right away that this was an important uh, found that he made there. So similar kinds of deposits, of course, elsewhere in the fossil record are critical to filling in the gaps. So our record of things like jellyfish and a whole range of other kinds of worms besides Macaridians and various kinds of mollusks and arthropods, as Jacob has explained, are entirely reliant on these kinds of remarkable preservations. These things don't have hard tissues. So we're engaged at Yale in looking at a whole range of these kinds of exceptional preservations, the most famous perhaps being the Cambrian Burgess Shale in the Canadian Rockies, which is older than our Macaridian occurrence. It's over 500 million years old. And we look at exceptional preservations right through the record up to recent things much younger than 50 million years where we're concerned with terrestrial organisms like insects and plants, uh, which also, of course, normally decay and require exceptional conditions, in that case normally in lakes, in order to get preserved. How many sites like this have been found around the world? Well, in terms of insects and plants, many hundreds. Uh, in terms of exceptional preservations in marine settings, rather fewer 
So when you go back to the interval where this Moroccan locality fits, you're talking about just a handful of that kind of preservation where you get evidence of the soft-bodied organisms as well as evidence of the shelly forms, which are normally in, in the fossil record. How does this help you in studying the evolution of organisms in the biosphere? Well, in terms of evolution in general, uh, you have to bear in mind that about 80% of, of organisms are soft-bodied, and many strange things which have become extinct are soft-bodied. And therefore, in order to find any kind of record of these things in the history of life, we have to rely on these kinds of remarkable preservations. We wouldn't know much about the first appearances or indeed the range of forms of a whole lot of invertebrates, animals without backbones, if we didn't have these kinds of remarkable preservations. What are some of the, the techniques that you're using now to to find locations like this or to begin to be able to study or uh, fossils that are found? So the way that we um, go out and find these fossils is, is very similar to the way they did it 200 years ago. It is very um, simple and dirty. You just go out and you just have to go and look at the rocks and and find fossils, and, 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 and then you might be lucky to, to find a locality where there is these kind of preservations. It's, it's very difficult to, uh, to, to apply modern techniques to, to look for these kind of fossils uh, in the field. But when you come home, you can do it. You, we have a number of techniques now that we can uh, use to study these fossils. Um, for a number of years, you have been able to use a scanning electron microscope, which makes you able to look at your, um, your specimens uh, very, very uh, uh, up close. You can uh, look at structures that is only micrometers in uh, scale, and thereby we were actually able to look at the, the different kinds of minerals that has been precipitated on our fossil that we just described, and um, and thereby we can deduce how the the fossil was pre was preserved in the, in the record. And it turns out that during the, the decay of this uh, animal, there was bacteria that. Uh, created an environment where you had a lot of sulfites and these sulfites reacted with iron that you had in the uh, in the mud and thereby you had uh, a mineral called pyrite uh, precipitating on the animal creating a kind of death, death mask around the animal. Um, and, uh, a number of other techniques has uh, recently been used. Sometimes you find fossils, small fossils that is um, that that is uh, replaced by minerals and so on, and you can you can put them in in a so-called X-ray synchrotron, which is a machine that can uh, that can make three-dimensional models of your uh, of your uh, of your uh, of your fossil, and it can even look inside the fossil and see what is going on in there. And a few years ago, there was uh, a discovery in China where you find embryos that is about 580 million years old. It's about the oldest. Uh, embryos of animals that we have and uh, these have been studied with this x-ray synchrotron and you see uh, a number of peculiar features when you can see inside these embryos as well you can see the cells and 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 how the cells uh, are organized and so on so there are many things you can learn from these fossils beyond evolution you really learn about the mineralization process that's going on and about how the organisms even form and divide 
what um, what are some of the other uh, breakthroughs that you've had in this in this sort of area, and what are some of the other aspects that you're looking at along this line? Well, we're also interested in the preservation of the organic materials in some of these fossils, because that ultimately leads you to a better understanding of the formation of fossil fuels. Uh, eventually, organic material in organisms transforms to the kind of material called kerogen, which, which gives rise to oil and, and gas. So you can remarkably gain some understanding of that kind of transformation by looking at fossil materials, because you know, for example, the composition of a leaf when it goes into a lake bed or the composition of a beetle when it gets buried. And as that's transformed through geological time, you can track that by looking at progressively older specimens and get some understanding of the chemical changes that occur in rocks and eventually transform these materials into the source of fossil fuels. So by studying the fossils of specific organisms, you're actually getting a sense of how the whole system worked at a particular time and over time. Yes, that's right. Great. What, happens, uh, what, what happened in terms of biological processes yes. and what also happens in the sediment in terms of geological processes. Great. So anything that you can give us hints about what's coming next, some findings that are on the horizon? Well, we continue to look at a variety of different kinds of exceptional preservations. Uh, we have a great locality in Upper New York State known as Beecher's Bed, which is about 450 million years old, where we're getting fossils called trilobites with appendages, and we're seeking to understand how that process works, why those things get preserved. And indeed, we'd like to think that as our understanding of soft-bodied preservation gets better and better, we've a better chance of targeting particular places to look for these remarkable preservations, which are clearly very important. But in the end, we'd have to admit that a certain amount of this, as it was 200 years ago, as Jacob said, is down to chance. And many of these localities are found not just by professionals, but by collectors who are out there looking for fossils and come across these remarkable localities and happily in many cases come to scientists like us uh, to allow us to do some scientific work on their discoveries. Great. Thank you so much.